2 Thessalonians. Uh, I will read, this is a Bible study, I will read the introduction from my study Bible, and it's on why read this book. Have you ever been puzzled by what's going on in the world around you? This letter provides something stable, an eternal perspective, with which to evaluate society's shifting views. It will remind you that the world is terminal, careening towards its conclusion, but it will also remind you that Christians have a hope for eternity that enables them to live day to day in an anti-Christian environment. Who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. To whom was it written and why? Paul wrote to believers at Thessalonica, whom he suspected needed a stronger dose of the advice he had given them in his first letter. When was it written? In AD 51 or 52, shortly after Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. What to look for in 2 Thessalonians? You'll notice several subjects that parallel those in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Suffering, work, and the end times. This letter, along with 1 Thessalonians, will tell you much of what is known about the end times. So, dear God, please bring other scripture to mind if it's something that you want to communicate with us and uh, speak to us through the scripture from Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Okay, I will stop there with two different things because a lot of times we experience bad things on earth, bad things to good people, and we don't like it. And especially when we're doing everything right, but we know from scripture in Job, that's exactly what happened to him. That was a testing period. But other times it's just pure evil. And we don't really have the answer of why something happened. But there is this promise that Paul writes about that. I'll read it again. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So sometimes we don't get immediate justice from God, but this is where we trust that this is what is going to happen because God is just. 
it's not going to be left undone forever. God is just, and this will happen. This justice will be served when Jesus returns. So anyone who's been wrongfully harmed, you can trust in that and just let it go. Because as God says, leave the vengeance to me. It is mine. So so God will handle all this stuff. We just trust him. He takes care of his people. We will experience hardships here on earth, but that's a temporary time frame just while we're in our um, mortal bodies. But when Jesus returns, then that's going to change too, because we will have immortal bodies. And there's going to be a whole whole different way of living when that happens. It'll be pretty awesome for all believers. So going back to scripture, uh, something that I had underlined, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is another one of those um, statements that, you know, can really convict us. If we are not obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who, you know, who do not obey the gospel of what Jesus tells us is right and wrong, if we're not obeying it, that puts us on this, this list. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, We also have to remember that people are not perfect and there are slip-ups, but God gives us help with that because if we ask for, if we're really sincere about wanting to change, to be a better person, if we are serious about that, all we have to do is ask God and he will give us the Holy Spirit to help us with that. So it's not impossible. All things are possible with God. Getting back to scripture, verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and be marveled at among all those who believed. So this is another thing that um, I had questioned recently, actually. Um, I knew that people who rejected God would be separated from God. But what I wasn't sure is if And I knew also that Jesus destroyed death. So then I wondered, the people who are separated from God, it does say that they will be, there's a lot of like torment kind of things that happen. And, um, and just like people will never be satisfied and it'll just, it'll just be really awful. I mean, there are parts in the Bible that describe, if we want to call it hell, whatever it is, that the place that the people go to that have rejected God. And, um, and there, I saw something recently too, there were people who say, well, if God is love, then why would he do that? That's not, that's not what he would do. Well, we don't determine what God would do because we are not God, but scripture tells us very clearly about who God is and God is just, can you imagine if you were a victim of some horrendous crime against you or somebody that you loved and nothing ever happened to the person, the person was never sorry for it, and that just pure evil happened, and nothing was ever done about that? Can you think about how would that be just? So what you have to remember is that God is just, and God does every opportunity that he can, tries to get people to accept, accept Jesus. And 
and people still reject, and they even rejected back when Jesus was physically present here on earth and was doing miracles, was healing people who were born blind and giving them eyesight and making lame people who, you know, for like 30 years or something like that, you know, being lame, not unable to walk, and then all of a sudden they could walk. There's all sorts of things that Jesus did. And and his followers, his disciples also, even after he was gone through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there were so many things that happened back in the days, in, in these days, that people, it seems like they would have no reason not to believe with all of that, but yet they still didn't believe or they just refused to give up anything that they knew was sin because they liked it more than or maybe, and they just didn't believe. They didn't believe that there was this place that they were going to go at the end of time, but at the end of this earth's time. But that is scripture's true, and we will, and we see throughout scripture when we read it that some of the things that are are historical are shown the as examples, and they're there for us as warnings to show us that, yes, this will happen. When people are disobedient to God, there is a repercussion to that. And sometimes it can be delayed, and sometimes it can be immediate. In fact, there were people that came that were grumbling and, and disobedient and complaining to God about having manna, and God was giving these people food. He, he brought them out of slavery. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. He provided so they could have survival, but they weren't happy about the quality of what they were getting or they wanted something different or they were bored with it or whatever. They were grumbling and um, and, there were, and they were being disobedient to the way that God told them to collect it because he was looking at their obedience. Um, testing on earth, that's, that's what God is looking for. He's looking to see what we do and we have a choice in front of us. Are we going to be obedient to him or are we going to choose our own way? Are we submitted to him or do we st- are we strong-headed and we just want to do our own thing and ignore God? God looks at all of that and that's what is going to be judged when Jesus returns. So Jesus came first to save the sinners. That's what happened back in this time prior to Paul doing his uh, talking to people and writing letters. But when Jesus returns again, it's not to save sinners. It's to bring justice. So it's going to be a very different time when Jesus returns. And a lot of people are thinking that it's sooner than we think. It's not like a thousand years from now. Um, in fact, some you know are even thinking publicly saying that they think it could be in the next seven years even. And some even sooner than that. So there's a lot of different opinions. and But there's also some things actually in this to Thessalonians that might give us a clue to the timing. So I'm going to keep reading and go back to that. So jumping to um, the next verse with, it was number 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. That kind of summarizes a little bit of just what I was talking about, where it says that by his power, you know, all things are possible through God. It's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
then it says, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. So we're not perfect, but God will know if we have a sincere desire for goodness and and your every deed prompted by faith. When we believe in God and Jesus and what he did for us, that's when we may receive the Holy Spirit, when our heart, our thoughts, our intentions are towards God and God sees that it's sincere. So um, getting back to scripture 12, we pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter two, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you brothers and sisters not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So Paul is talking to these believers, and he's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and those who are in Christ being gathered to him, just like uh, in the book of Matthew 24, where it talks about Jesus, his angels, um, it's with the shout of a trumpet, um, and the ga- the angels will gather and bring people towards Jesus. So um, Paul is talking about it. So he's talking about regarding that time when Jesus Christ and our, our being gathered to him. It hasn't happened yet is what he's saying. And then he says in, in verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So when people say that they're looking for the Antichrist, we currently have um, Christians that have different opinions or interpretations of Scripture. And there's a um, a group, well, actually it started probably in the... Uh, 1500s, I believe. And it, it, I believe it was through John Calvin who started it about this uh, pre-tribulation rapture. And that has just per- perpetuated because people who want to uh, get degrees and doctorates in theology were taught that. And a lot of times when people are taught something and it is repeated over and over and you're trained to think a certain way, it's very hard to not think a certain way. For me personally, I had no training. So all I did was read scripture and all I was doing was seeking to find the answer and to find the truth. And I was hearing both sides, either pre-trib, mid-trib, or pre-wrath beliefs. And so I did look into each one of those, and I, I think it's, it's pretty clear in my mind because I didn't have any preconceived ideas coming into it. All I did was look at Scripture, and I think this verse itself really explains it well because Paul is writing to believers in Thessal- Thessalonica, and he says to them, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs 
and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So me reading this, that means the identity of the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And that's, there's not going to be a gathering before that. I mean, we can certainly be hopeful. God could do anything he wants, but that's not what scripture says. And there's in multiple places, it it doesn't say that it's going to be anywhere sooner than that. And so I think what's necessary is for all of us to be prepared. If God wanted to come and change things, he could do that. And that would be very welcomed, I think, by everyone. No one who thinks um, pre-wrath is excited about that. Everyone would prefer that it would be pre-trib. I don't, I don't, I don't think you'd get one person complaining that or wanting to, it to be a pre-trib rather than a pre-wrath. So um, pre-tribulation, because no, none of us want to experience tribulation. But the fact is, Scripture tells us we are going to experience tribulation. So um, do this. You know, don't take my word. Search for yourself and find the scripture. Um, Listen to other people. Look back at scripture. Read the whole section. Read the whole chapter. Uh, Don't just take a verse out of context. Um, A lot of people will say they'll refer to the one who holds back. um, You know, that I forgot what verse it was, but they'll say, um, till the one who holds him back is taken out of the way because the man of lawlessness can't be uh, can't be revealed until the one that holds him back is taken out of the way and people have assumed that meant the church that meant believers people assumed that nowhere can you support that from a scripture um, you cannot it it's just a conclusion that somebody brought but there's another conclusion that somebody else has also mentioned they said, um, the restrainer, um, a lot of people, like I said, automatically assumed it's their opinion that's the church, but that's not factual because you can't support it elsewhere in Scripture. And like I said, there's another assumption or theory that that restrainer could perhaps be Michael, the angel, who we know from the book of Daniel that Michael is the protector of Israel. And it could logically be when Michael the angel, because we're in a spiritual, supernatural world, when Michael the archangel is taken out of the way, we know from Revelation that there's a battle in heaven and Satan loses the battle and is then cast down to earth with a third of the angels, which are called symbolically as the stars. That's in the book of Revelation. And they are thrown down to earth. And then it says, woe to the earth, because Satan knows his time is short, and he's going to make it hell on earth. And that is not something we're looking forward to. And because I don't believe that has happened yet, but you could almost wonder (laughs) with the lawlessness. But here's the interesting part. If you look in all of our news, and I don't, I don't know if it's just me or everyone else thinking this too, but when you look at some of the horrendous crimes and just like unprovoked random acts of lawlessness that are throughout the world right now and the increase 
that it's been on in the last couple years alone. I mean, since actually since like 2020, just think about what things were like before 2020 and then what it's been like. It just seems like the crime has like skyrocketed and the, the evilness in the world has just like gone crazy. And that's my opinion. Um, but it just feels like that to me. So um, that's what this verse says. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not, the, that day, the day of the gathering will not come until the rebellion occurs. So we do have a rebellion occurring, it seems. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Well, I don't know who the man of lawlessness is. There's a lot of theories about that, but I'm not going to even touch on those because there's not enough evidence. There's a lot of um possibilities, certainly, but the man of lawlessness, you're not going to know who it is until he claims to be God on the holy place. So when that happens, then everybody's going to know who he is, but that he's not revealed yet. So we don't know yet. So we know that our gathering to Jesus is not at this very moment because the lawless man is not revealed yet. It's the man doomed to destruction. Then getting to verse four, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Just what we were saying. So in the temple, it he is going to proclaim that he is God. So that's what we would have to look for. Don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Well, unfortunately, I don't know if I'm missing it in this text or if it was a side conversation that Paul had with the people of Thessalonica, but he says, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. And he says, do you remember when I was with you and I used to tell you these things? Well, it's not written in scripture, though. <laughs> so I don't know what is who is holding or what is holding him back right now. But if you know um, from scripture, if you can support it, then that's great. But I have not seen that yet. Okay, so number verse 7 of chapter 2. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So here's another good point. If it was the church that was the restrainer, why would scripture say till he is taken out of the way? That whoever's holding it back right now will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Something to think about. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. So this is really important to know, too, because there's going to be power, there's going to be signs, and there's going to be wonders that are really deceptive, that only serve the lie. So
So this lawless man who's going to claim to be God is going to have certain powers. Now, one thing that separates him, at least from this book, from an apostle, an apostle actually worked miracles. Now, it doesn't specifically say miracles, so I don't know if he would do miracles. But in some other scripture, it says that this lawless one would be able to deceive the elect, God's chosen, if it were possible. Like, it's going to be a really good deception. And then it also, like here, getting back to it, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. So the people who are perishing are the ones who have not yet surrendered to God, surrendered to Jesus, and um, believe in Jesus. And they are still under the slavery of wickedness. And it's just like wickedness. It's like the pleasures of the world, things that people want to hang on to that they know are sinful and they want to stop it, but they just can't. Well, that's what wickedness is deceiving the people who are stuck like that into they're perishing and they don't even realize it. They don't know that they are being destined to this place, wherever it is that that is going to be torture forever and ever because God is just, which is kind of scary. So anybody who hasn't surrendered yet, you might want to do it really quickly, uh, like as in today, because who knows when it's going to happen, but just be prepared. And also, if you have the Holy Spirit, maybe you will have more discernment so that you aren't deceived by this coming lawless one who is not yet revealed, but is told to us will be coming in the future. And when someone loves wickedness or they love the pleasures of sin, but they don't want to change, that's a deception right there. Like they, they're like hooked, they're addicted. They, because it's so deceptive, like it promises pleasure, but in the end, what it really means is death. And people don't get it. They don't believe it. They don't understand it. Um, for whatever reason, I have, you know, I was actually, I, don't, I, I was like that myself too. I didn't take this stuff seriously. It wasn't until I finally read the Bible when I, when I all of a sudden it, it clicked with me. It was like, this is real. This is not just a myth, a fable, a story that somebody says that was passed on from generation. This is real. And when it became real to me, it forced me, not forced, I chose to make changes in my life. But I, when I say forced, it's because it's like, okay, here's the consequence of if you don't change, this is your, this is your outcome. This is where you're going to be. And when I looked at it that way, I was like, oh, hell no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So that is, it made me definitely want to change. Um, was I immediately able to change everything? No, it took time. And I probably wouldn't have been able to because I had to do some really tough things. And, but I did them. And it was, I would say only through the power of the Holy Spirit, only through prayers that I would ask God for help. And that's the only way that it changed. So I've been through it. So if anybody tells me that, oh, I can't do that, I'm too weak or that wouldn't work or I whatever, I'm like, 
No, that's not true. It's not true. It's just because you're not surrendering and you're not asking God for help. Because once you surrender and you ask God for help, God will do it. Because that is God's will for you to be in eternity with Him. God loves people. God wants people with Him. So if you ask for help from God, He's going to give it to you because He wants that for you. So it's it's just a matter of us accepting God, accepting Jesus, and asking for help, humbling ourselves to realize that we're not going to be able to do it without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. We need God. That's what we have to get to a point in our life. And that's the point I got to. And so it took a lot to get me there, but I'm thankful that it happened because now I'm relaxed about this. I'm just looking forward to these things. And I that's what is inspiring me to share this, to speak about it for other people so that other people can also be where I am today, where I wasn't just a few years ago. Getting back to scripture, stand firm, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Just what we were talking about, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. The Holy Spirit will help us. And through belief in the truth. So believing in what Jesus told, the truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus flat out said it just like that. So he called you to this through he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like our future is going to be so amazing. Yes, we have to give up now. Just like working out. If you want to look better, then you have to put the work in and then you will see the results. If you want to be in God's kingdom, you have to agree to change. You have to agree to surrender to God. You have to believe in the truth. You have to seek God to find him and get your questions answered. Um, you All those things, like it takes action on our part. Not everyone is going to be saved. It's only those who seek God, ask for God, repent of our sins, like acknowledge that we are sinners. We have to repent and have a truly focus, you know, like we really want God to make a difference in our life and we want to be with God. When we have that sincere desire to be with God in eternity, then God will help us. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil ones. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing 
that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received. I underlined that one because as a Christian, as a believer, if you are around people who call themselves believers but don't live like it, they're fake. And unfortunately, people who don't yet believe see those fake people out in the world who say, I'm a Christian, and they see how they're living, and they see how mean they can be to other people, and how self-righteous they are, and a lot of, there's a lot of things, or not even living according to God's commands, and they're calling themselves Christians, and then people see that who don't believe yet, but they look, and they're like, well, that's a Christian, and that's, I don't want to be that, and that's the thing that is the most disturbing is when Christians do not, they do not obey God. They don't, they don't treat God with respect. God is not a priority. And scripture is talking to this, this letter here that Paul's written to the church is talking to other believers. And he's telling believers, every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according, according to the t- teaching keep away from them. So as Christians, we can't continue to be around people who are fake Christians. So that's if they're calling themselves Christians. Now there's a difference between, there isn't really a difference between fake Christians and unbelievers, but Christians should be around unbelievers so that they can hopefully become Christians and receive eternal life. So that's okay to be around people who don't yet believe, but the people who say they're Christians but don't act like it, forget them. Don't be around them. That's what Paul says. So getting back to scripture. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. This is something that our society would benefit a lot from. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. It doesn't mean the ones who are incapable, but the ones who are unwilling to work shall not eat. And that's pretty good Bible standards. In fact, it's really interesting because there was a uh, contractor of some sort that actually had that verse from 2 Thessalonians 10 or 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 actually on the side of his vehicle that said the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I thought that was kind of funny when I saw it. Um, Great message though. 
Then uh, verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So this is also good. There's, I guess, a certain amount of when somebody is a Christian or maybe they lived a Christian life and there's a thing that people call backsliding when they get back involved into a sinful lifestyle after they've been a believer. And that's, you know, a Christian should go to that person person in love with good intentions, not to condemn them, but to wake them up and just say, hey, what are you doing? Do you know? You know the outcome of this. You know, wake up before it's too late. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. He's like, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet don't regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.